All right. Now we've been talking out of the book of Mark. So let's go there. The book of Mark. And I love the book of Mark. As we've been talking, we learned last week that Mark was not an apostle, but he did hang out and spend a lot of time with Peter. And most of what Mark wrote about came by way of Peter and his fellowship with Peter. Peter shared with him. We know Peter was an eyewitness uh, with Jesus. He was there. And so as Mark was considered a student of Peter or a son of Peter, he, he often shared the stories of what happened. So Peter wrote the things down as uh, Peter would share with him. And I think he talked to a few other uh, apostles. And then we also know that Mark worked a little bit with Paul in his ministries. And so we talked about that last week. And I think we left off, we're still in the first chapter. And the thing that we talked about was John the Baptist. And I just want to start reading there again, just read through it till we get to the area where we're going to talk about today. So Mark, the first chapter, verse four, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And I said last week that John could point people to forgiveness, but he could not secure forgiveness completely because he was not the one who had the ministry of forgiveness. He just preached about it. He turned them from a generation that was perverse, a generation that was uh, selfish or unrighteous and pointed them at Jesus. And John, before he knew it, was in the ministry just long enough to point people to Jesus. And then he got out of the ministry. And I want to share with you one of the ways he got out of the ministry, because it was interesting. You know, we, we read in the scriptures that John said these words that I must decrease and he must increase. You know, and sometimes we don't know what those words mean when we say the words, I must increase and he must decrease. Well, long story short, John said those words and it was not long after those words that he was put into prison. Yeah, he was put into prison. So let's take a look and see how this unfolds. In verse five, and all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Verse six, and John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and his diet was locust and wild honey. We talked about that last week. It could be locust insect, could be locust, the little carrot plant. I personally believe it was really a locust that he was eating. And I told you that the honey probably helped it go down a little bit. And verse seven, and he was preaching and saying, after me, one is coming who is mightier than I. And I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. And look at verse eight. He says, and I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And some other in the gospels, you talk about the Holy Spirit and fire. It talks about the Holy Spirit. So John was baptizing from a physical sense of putting them in the water and immersion was baptism. It wasn't sprinkling. I know some religions sprinkle some, you know, smear water in the head. But for the sake of talking about what baptism really is, it is to submerge or immerse somebody completely into the water, uh, symbolizing a purification and a washing at that time, what John was preaching. He wasn't teaching identification at that time. We know that baptism became an identifier of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But at this point, Jesus hadn't died yet. So it wasn't for the identity of Christ. It was for the washing of their sins. 
In other words, they were in a generation that were an unbelieving generation. They didn't trust uh, God the way that they should. And so they were listening to the scribes, the Pharisees, and all these other people of the religious day. And I don't know if you know it or not, but religion sometimes kills the spirit of the letter. You have to be very careful because it causes so many traditions that we're keeping up with the traditions more than the people. And see, and so God gave us a relationship uh, with his son so that we could have a relationship with God. But see, John the Baptist couldn't do that. He could only point to it. And so he was getting the people to understand something needs to change and we need to be purified. We need to be washed because there's one coming greater than me, greater than myself. And I'm not even worthy. He says, this is John the Baptist. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie his shoes. I mean, that's humility. And here's a man that was so great that God chose him to be the forerunner of Jesus. In other words, he came before Jesus to let everybody know that something greater than what I'm doing is coming to you. And I want to get you prepared for it. I'm going to wash you. I'm going to purify you. I'm going to get you used to confessing your sins because the one who is coming, he is the one who will answer the sins and the confession that you're going to have. Jesus Christ, who can not only just say, forgive you, but change you. He's saying people need to change sometimes. And I told you last week, we need to learn how to change rather than say, I'm sorry. And I'm not saying don't say you're sorry, but my point is if all you do is say you're sorry and you never change, you have to keep saying you're sorry. And after a while, people won't believe that you really are sorry. But if I change, and I say that I'm sorry, forgive me, that is repentance in action. That means it's not just an outward change, it's an inward change. It's a heart change, amen? And sometimes you have to just say you're sorry, turn around, repent, and ask God for the change and ask him to help you to change so that people can know that we have a God who can change lives, amen? That's what we're looking at here. So John was setting them up for the big change. There was a big change coming on, all right? Now, in verse 9, and it's entitled the baptism of Jesus. In other words, Jesus also was baptized to fulfill all things. In verse 9, it says, And it came about in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And verse 10 says, And immediately coming up out of the water, I want you to catch this now, just get a picture of this. He saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And I shared with you last week that the whole scene was like this. Jesus is in the water and John is baptizing him. Now John had been baptizing people all along and they'd never had anything like this happen. So here comes Jesus to be baptized of John. And John was already saying, I'm not worthy to even touch his shoes, let alone baptize his body. But to fulfill all things, this must happen. So Jesus gets baptized of John in the river Jordan. And the heavens open up and it says the spirit like a dove descending upon him. It didn't say the spirit was a dove, but it said the spirit like a dove or in the likeness of a dove came down and descended upon Jesus. In other words, he was lighting upon Jesus. And look at what God had to say about that. Remember, people have been being baptized all along, but this has never happened. In verse 11. And a voice came out of heaven. Where did the voice come from? So it wasn't on the earth or the same plane or parallel in the plane of the earth, but a voice came out of heaven. Now, this is probably one of the first time they probably heard from heaven because nobody else could have this type of thing happen to them unless they were the one. 
And John set him up. He says, there's one coming greater than I. And the reason he had to say that because people thought he was so great. They listened to John. He was a great prophet. He had a great message of repentance and turning people to the gospel and pointing people to Jesus. And John was like six months older, as the scriptures tell us, than Jesus. And people don't realize that John and Jesus were relatives in the flesh. They were cousins. But he was six months older than Jesus, but yet they hadn't spent any real time together. So he was out doing what God had called him to do. And Jesus was doing what God had called him to do. And then they meet at the River Jordan. Amen. And now the heavens open up. And Jesus is baptized and the spirit out of heaven came down and lit upon Jesus. Now look at what God has to say. And a voice, verse 11, came out of heaven. Thou art my beloved son. In thee I am well pleased. Do you see that? And in verse 12, it says, and immediately the spirit impelled him to go into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan or the devil. And let's look at what it says. It says, and he was with wild beasts and the angels were ministering to him. And I spoke a little bit about that last week where Jesus was moved by the spirit to go into the wilderness and there he would meet the enemy, Satan himself. And I referred to Satan last week as a bully. You know, when your new kid comes in town, you got to meet the bully. Jesus was just coming to his public ministry. He was already in town. At this time, he was about 30 years old and he was about ready to start his gospel ministry. And I'll call it a gospel ministry because the word gospel means uh, salvation. In other words, it means deliverance. It means truth. It means peace. It means God and man having a relationship. So Jesus is now getting ready to institute a relationship with his people far different than the relationship that they had with the religious establishment at the time. In other words, when you're dealing with institutions, it's cold and calculating. But when you deal with God from a relationship standpoint, it is all about you. It's not about any policies or any procedures. It's God personally dealing with you. God helping you and arranging in your life to care and meeting the needs that you have and having this relationship that you can walk with him and talk with him. They didn't have that before. They had the prophet, priest, and king. They had John the Baptist who came as a prophet. And now he's given away to Jesus. And he's saying that he was out there and the angels ministered to him while he was dealing with the bully. Now, let's go right into where I left off last week in verse 14. And it says, and after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of God. Now, the writer, Mark, at this time, kind of assumes that we now reading the Bible understand that John was arrested. John was arrested just about immediately after he baptized Jesus. They came to get John. And the reason, and it'll tell us later on, because it doesn't say it now, it'll tell us later on when Jesus starts doing all these signs and wonders and healing people. And so Herod <laughs> thought that uh, John the Baptist had come back to life because we find later on he kills, he beheads him and, and tells us why he did it. One of the reasons why he arrested John because number one, he was popular and they didn't like anybody being more popular than them. And one of the biggest reasons why John was put in jail because John spoke something to this king about his sin. And this man was really evil and he took his brother's wife and married his brother's wife and then he had the wife of his brother that he stole took her daughter and had her dance a crazy dance in front of him to where he lost his mind. And he said, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. Just tell me what you want. And she cried out, give me the head of John the Baptist. And because he was a king and he made an oath, 
Wow. And this interesting thing, this guy loved to hear John the Baptist, but he didn't want to change. He knew that what John the Baptist was saying to him was right and he needed to correct his life, but he was unwilling to change because he was worldly and he was evil. He was a dictator and he was wicked and he would not have killed John the Baptist except for his lust and his flesh got him put in a situation where he ran his mouth and he spoke something that he had to now make sure that he did it in front of all the people. He said, I'll give you up to half. What would make a man say, I give you half of my kingdom? What kind of dance could that be? I just don't understand. I'm glad I wasn't there. <laughs> All I know is she did something to where he lost his mind temporarily. And he said, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. Tell me what you want. She runs over to her mother, right? And this girl's name was Salome. She runs over to her mother. What shall I ask for? And she was already conspiring because she was mad about what John the Baptist said about their lifestyle. And she was no angel herself. She was with one of her other relatives and then left her husband and got with this guy's brother. And next thing you know, she was bad news, bad business. So don't think that we have bad news here. Ain't nothing strange about the bad news and the conditions that people <laughs> live in today. They've been cutting up since Jesus day. They were cutting up before then. So don't think it's strange when you see scandals and things like that going on. This was scandalous during this time. Just in that, I hadn't even got to the good stuff yet. And this, all this cutting up and all this drama, it's in the Bible, y'all. You're worried about what's on TV. It's in the Bible. Amen. But it's, it, there's a purpose that God allowed and had these things written for our learning so we can understand historically, you're not the only sinners. You know, and God's love for us covers all of our sin. If we'll come to him, if we'll do what John was teaching, repent. If we turn around and come to Jesus, we repent and we get a relationship. If we get a relationship, Christ abides in us. If Christ abides in us, the Holy Spirit lives in us. If the Holy Spirit lives in us, we have guidance, we have teaching, we have comfort, we have help in the name of Jesus. That's where we're going with this thing. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 14. And after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel, which is of salvation of God. And look at 15 and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Then he says, repent and believe in the gospel. So he says something a little more than what John was saying. John would say, repent for the forgiveness and remission of your sin. And Jesus said, repent now and believe the gospel because help is coming your way. God is going to save the nations by their faith in Jesus. Placing your faith in Jesus alone would get you in a relationship with God. But remember, Jesus had not yet died. So he's on a campaign to touch the lives of the people to change the atmosphere of what the Pharisees and the scribes and the Roman government had actually put up with. And so now Jesus is going to come in and he, yes, he was a king, but his kingdom, the Bible says, was not of this world. You got to understand that. And so the kings of those days were threatened by John the Baptist and they were threatened by Jesus because all the people would listen to them and come over, you know, and so they probably weren't even in the synagogues much because they saw Jesus on the side of a hill. They saw John at the lakes and the rivers and they would come out in hordes. And so the government was looking on, wondering what's going on. You know, when there's a skirmish, a bunch of people around, everybody wants to know what's going on. Well, Jesus came in even in a greater way than John did. And he got the attention of the people because of what he did. Take a look at how this thing unfolds. Jesus was a man of action. All right. In verse 16, it says, and as he was going along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew 
He says, the brother of Simon casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And I think it's important that God describes who these guys were. And you know, when the Bible mentions real names, you're talking about real people. He didn't say a certain man. He said Simon and Andrew, you know, the brother of Peter. So you're talking historically. If you read some of the historical writings of Josephus, you know, he was a Jewish historian. He counted all of these things as actual happenings, fact. And so these people really live. There are a lot of people who try to disqualify the Bible and say it's a myth, a fable, a fairy tale, but it absolutely is not. It is the gospel. It is the truth. Amen. So let's take a look at what he did now. He called these guys and he says, now listen, they were fishermen. So Jesus used something they could relate to in verse 17. And Jesus says to them, follow me. And then he says these words, I will make you become fishers of men. That would be strange for them because they're used to just fishing for fish. But now he's changing their purpose. He's changing uh, how they're going to live from here on out while he was here. I mean, they made a living fishing. But he tells them, come follow me. In other words, leave what you're doing. Come follow me. Stop fishing for fish. And I'm going to make you fishers of men. Something that they could relate to, but something very different. I'm, I probably would be thinking, well, if I leave my family business and I follow you, Jesus, and I'm no longer fishing for fish, but I'm fishing for men, how are we going to eat? But he said, come follow me. Yes. See, that's the key. Come, see, when you go to follow Jesus, you don't have to worry about what you eat. What you're going to put on, you know, Jesus has clothes on. Yes. Jesus ate every day. Jesus was protected, you know, in his life and things that he did. He knew he was very wise. He knew what his calling was. He knew what his purpose was. So Jesus would never call you into a place of distrust, but he's calling you to a place of trust. In other words, to commit your faith to Jesus would be the best thing that you could do. Amen. Now, I'm not asking anybody today to quit their jobs. I'm just saying, because some people look at the Bible and well, if the fishermen quit their jobs, I should quit my job. Well, first of all, did God call you and, and to, to, to make you leave your job? He asked them to leave what they were doing. See, that's the thing. We got to be careful when we read the Bible. You got a lot of these people on TV. Next thing you know, they're giving away the house. They're giving away their cars, giving away their husbands and everything else. I mean, you got to do what God tells you to do. There's a reason that he called these guys. Now, listen. He's setting them up. He's beginning his ministry, his earthly ministry, about 30 years old. The spirit of God had come down upon him. And now Jesus is anointed. He's moving forward. In Luke chapter four, he talked about how the spirit of the Lord have come upon me and anointed me to preach the gospel. So it was at this time that Jesus was setting off to do his ministry. Right. And so in verse 18, and they immediately left their nets and followed him. Wow. Just like that. Immediately. I mean, they left their nets now. I kind of suppose that they had been hearing about Jesus somewhere, yeah. you know, and when he came on the scene, remember John was preaching and talking about Jesus and talking about there's one coming, calling the Lamb of God. And these were Jewish men who understood the tradition that a Messiah was coming, that the great prophet was coming, the King of Kings was coming. I really feel that what Jesus had to say to them was very persuasive and very influential. When he says, come and I'll make you fishers of men, they immediately dropped their nets and followed them. Man, could we get that kind of obedience today? That we could just follow Jesus because he says, any man come after me, let him first deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. In verse 19, and going on a little further, he saw James. There's a couple other guys now, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother. And they were also in a boat mending nets. 
and verse 20, and immediately he called them, and listen, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow Jesus. So these guys left the servants with their father, basically said, Dad, we're gone, we're going with Jesus. Can you imagine that? That Jesus had that kind of influence in the beginning of his ministry where he could say to men in their family business, his dad was in the boat with the hired servants. When they heard Jesus said, come, they left the family business. What type of commitment and dedication and anointing did Jesus have to speak to people in a word and they would just change at the moment and want to follow him? You know, the people of today are more stubborn than they were yes. because Jesus talks about coming to follow me. Now people hardly will come to church. They hardly will come to a Bible study. They hardly will pray. But these guys were out there in the midst of their jobs. And what I love about it, they had a job. Jesus didn't call anybody. They wasn't working. All these guys going into ministry because they don't have a job. Well, I'll go into the ministry. That's the worst place for you to be if you haven't been used to working. Because there ain't nothing but work in the ministry. So if you were lazy then, you're going to be really in trouble. Yes, these guys were working. They were businessmen. They had family companies. They were working with their family. He called them away from what the world could provide into what he could provide. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. I mean, it's some interesting stuff. Sometimes, you know, we just need to read the Bible. Just read it line by line. We get all this hooping and hollering and preaching and all this stuff that people do. And you miss all this good stuff on the long side of the way. You just got to stop and just read what it says. And look at verse 21. They came and followed him, right? Verse 21, and they went to Capernaum and immediately, if you notice, he keeps saying immediately, things were happening just like that. And immediately on the Sabbath, which is a Saturday, it says he entered the synagogue and began to teach. He went into the synagogue and began to teach. So interesting, the first thing he did was he pulled some people out of a family business and they followed him and they went into the temple because it was the right thing to do as a Jewish man to go into the temple to hear the scriptural readings and to participate in the worship at the synagogue. Well, Jesus walks in and he starts teaching in their synagogues. That's where I got the idea that I need to teach in other people's places. That's why I'm here now. Yeah, I don't need any place of my own. I teach in your house and their house and this center and that center. You know, we don't really need to take all this money that we get in and buy a big building so we can't help people. We need to take the finances that we get so we can be a blessing to people. Amen. Amen. Be a blessing to people. You know, you know how many people we could really help if we didn't have to pay absorbent rents? If we didn't have to take care of the machine that we create by getting all these big institutions, all that money, $10,000, $20,000, $50,000, $100,000 down, $2 million buildings, $5 million buildings. Look how many people we could help if we could learn to teach in their synagogues. Be an awesome thing. Hallelujah. But listen, man, this stuff gets even more rich. And verse 20 again, and they went into Capernaum and he immediately on the Sabbath day, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. Now look at verse 22. And they were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed at his teaching. In the synagogue, they were amazed at his teaching. Was there not teaching going on in the synagogue? Yes, but they were amazed at his teaching in the synagogue. It's kind of like a new guy coming into an area and he just, just turns the dirt over and just ruffles up the feather of all the old traditions. And here comes Jesus, the son of God, the beloved. It had the spirit of God upon him. The Holy Spirit lit upon him and he's speaking now in their synagogue. He's speaking the life of God in the synagogue. He's taking and putting the spirit back into the letter. Hallelujah. Listen, I mean, this is so powerful what Jesus did. It says again, that uh, 
they were amazed in verse 22 at his teaching. Now listen, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And I'll tell you a little bit about that. You know, Jesus comes in the door and he's teaching reality to them. He's teaching the truth of God the Father. He's teaching out of the mission and the purpose that he has. And when I thought about a scribe, a scribe is a person, especially in the Old Testament, is a recorder of events. They were to write down and document things that were happening. They were also used by the administration, kings and other authorities to put things on paper officially. That's what they were doing. In the New Testament, a scribe also gained a lot of authority from governments because they were to do certificates and doctor and tax receipts and things like that. And then their main job, get this, they were supposed to write the law as it came from Moses and interpret the law to the people. That's what they were supposed to be doing. But it says when Jesus went in there, he taught with authority and not as a scribe. You see, so if you're just used in life to copy what somebody else said, there's no authority in that. But now they got the real one whom they were writing about. And Jesus could speak about who he was because the scriptures were all written of him. Amen. So therefore, now you got the real doing away with that which was a copy. And they're writing about who the scriptures speak about. But now who the scripture was speaking about was presently in front of them now. So no wonder Jesus would sound a little different than them. Wait a minute. We've been hearing about this all this time. But now this is in front of us. They were amazed at his teaching because the scribes could not put flesh on the bone like Jesus could. They could not bring the spirit the way Jesus could because they were copying down the official documents as they were told. But now the official document is in front of them. The word has become flesh and dwelt among them. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The word has become flesh and dwelt among them. Now, listen. Oh, my goodness. It's so rich. In verse 23, and just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. So right after all that was going on, Jesus walks in there, and, and there's this guy with an unclean spirit, and he cries out. Now listen to what he says in verse 24, saying, what do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. <laughs> so the spirits in a man recognized that this was not a scribe. This was now the Holy One of God. This was Jesus. And why are you here? Did you come to destroy us? Interesting how darkness knows that they are going to be hounded to the point of destruction. They knew that their time was short. And they knew the one was here, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who was really the official will of God in the earth to destroy all the misery and all the problems that the devil has called. So one of the demons is man just cries out and acknowledges Jesus. Now we read in Matthew chapter four, Satan was testing to see who he was. Well, after Jesus met every test and Satan, he told Satan to get away from him. Satan must have went back to hell and told the disciples he's here. <laughs> He's here. He must have. I don't know. He must have because here they seem to have knowledge of him. Yes. They said, we know who you are. Yeah. Even the people didn't know who, but they knew that he was the Holy One of God. There have been many Holy Ones of God that have come, prophets, priests, and kings, but they said, we know who you are. Mm -hmm. This is the spirit realm talking. Right. Mm -hmm. Listen, 
And so in verse 25, and Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. <laughs> in other words, shut up. Get going. Talking to the spirit that is in the man. So from the realms, when it says that Jesus is king in heaven, he's king on the earth and he's king below the earth. You see, he has authority in every realm. He has authority in heaven. He has authority on the earth and he has authority beneath the earth. And he speaks to these hellish demons and he tells them, be quiet and come out of him. In other words, you're not supposed to be there. Come out. Now, I want you to understand something today. Medicine has uh, kind of talked away the fact that people could be demon possessed. And one of the reasons medicine doesn't rid of evil spirit because they have not acknowledged that there are evil spirits in people. I don't want to scare anybody today. This is not the exorcism. But I am, I am letting you know that if people were demon possessed then, then people are demon possessed today. And the fact that we medicate them to where the body can't function the way the demon wants it, he has to find other ways to get his evil done. Because when you sedate a person, their body is not functioning. You see, but back then they didn't have all those medications and things like that. So psychologists and nothing against psychologists and scientists and people today have explained away the fact that somebody could be demon possessed. But the Bible teaches that it's a reality. And Jesus, who is not just talking to the wind, he said, shut up, be quiet and come out of him. And that's the only time you should be talking to the devil is when you tell him to get going. You should not be having a conversation with the devil unless you're telling him to get out, evict him. In verse 26, now listen, this is what Jesus told him and throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and did what? Say it again. So sometimes when you're going through problems and trouble and you speak the word of God, it seems like it doesn't work. You see here what Jesus told him to come out and he, he acted out a little bit through a convulsion, which you would think, well, maybe he didn't listen to Jesus. Well, no, he listened to Jesus. He just screamed on his way out. <laughs> and sometimes you got to look at your circumstances, even though they seem to get worse when you pray, just know that they're on their way out. They are on their way out. Amen. They are on their way out. We see a clear illustration that the king of kings spoke and it took him a minute, threw him into convulsion, and then he came out of him. Just know that when you speak that word in the name of Jesus, it's as though Jesus himself is saying it. So the spirit came out of him. Now look at verse 27. And they were all amazed so that they debated among themselves saying, listen to this now, what is this? a new teaching with authority. <laughs> he commands even unclean spirits and they obey him. They were just dumbfounded. They didn't know what to think, you know, because all the other times these demons were allowed to participate in church. They were allowed to go to the synagogue. They were allowed to hang out in the city square. But when Jesus came on the scene and they cried out, Jesus said, get out. See, we don't have to put up with wickedness and evil and things of that nature. And I would say the first thing that we need to do before we start medicating people. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm gonna say, right? Before we start prescribing Prozac and all this other stuff that we do, you know, this is ADD medicine. You know, I'm not saying your kid has a demon or anything. I'm just saying, but the first thing that we need to do before we take them to natural doctors is to discern whether that spirit 
is of God or not that that child may have or that sickness or disease that you might have because it has been history and recorded fact that sometimes demonic activity causes sickness in people and causes all kinds of other behavioral things and we're treating them with medicine which is not really getting to the root of the cause. Sometimes, and you gotta walk in authority, you gotta be in right relation with God. You gotta have the operation of discerning the spirits working in you. You gotta know that the Holy Spirit works in you in the same way that he worked in our Lord. So that when you call out something that you're not afraid of it, that by faith you can speak, you can apprehend that demonic activity and that power and command it to cease and desist in its maneuver against humanity. Amen. You have to be able to do that. And that's what we're called to be, to be believers and to follow Jesus. And no demon can stop or overthrow the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is above every name. Amen. So long before you take them to the doctor, take them in the room and pray over them. And usually when you're praying over people that have demonic activity, they will act out for you because they don't want to come out. They don't want to be delivered. That body is comfortable for them. It's home and particular behaviors and things that you do to open the door for evil spirits to enter into your life. There are things you do like drugs. One of the things in the Greek words for drugs is pharmacia. It comes from the word witchcraft. And they take medicine and practicing all kinds of uh, spells and things like that. And they put it together and there's demonic activity with that stuff. So sometimes you just, people, we need to pray for our, our loved ones. Amen. Need to spend time in the word praying for them. Because these demons know and recognize the authority and the power of the word of God. They know because the Prince of Peace has spoken. Yes. Amen. We got to know that. Not be afraid of demonic activity, but take authority over it. Take charge over it in the name of Jesus. So right after that, you know, they obeyed him in verse 28 and immediately the news about him went out everywhere into all the surrounding districts of Galilee. So they knew then that when Jesus did that, they had to tell everybody about it. And you, if you notice that synagogue never got any kind of rapport before with the people. But after Jesus had been there, they had to tell everybody because they'd never seen anything like what Jesus just did. Because when you're in religion, you're in the worship of the dead letter. When you're in a relationship with God, you're in the worship of a relationship to God the Father through the Son in the spirit. Amen. It's a spiritual relationship. Amen? Amen? Take a look at the next thing here. I'm going to just follow along with this until it's time to, to get out of here for today. Look at verse 29. And immediately after they had come out of the synagogue, they came into a house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And look at verse 30. And Simon's mother-in-law was laying sick with fever, and immediately they spoke to him about her. Now I look at this and I say, wow, you know, Simon had a mother-in-law, meaning he must have had a wife. And they tell you a lot of times that none of the apostles were married, but Simon had a mother-in-law. And she was sick. And you don't need a mother-in-law unless you have a wife. And it doesn't speak a lot about any of the disciples really being married. There's some hints at stuff, but here clearly, think about Peter, who he was. All the stuff that you learned about Peter, that boy was married. He had that kind of activity going in his life. You know, he's cutting people's ears off, walking on water. He's denying Christ. He's doing all these things. You never hear of his wife, but he had a mother-in-law and they went to Jesus because when they went to his house, she was sick. Now, let me tell you, if you don't think God cares about your sickness, listen at this story. If you think God can just turn his back on you being sick, then Satan has lied to you. And I want you to see in verse 30, and Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever. 
And immediately they spoke to him about her. If Jesus didn't care, why would they bring that to Jesus? Why wouldn't they say, well, you know, it's the will of God. Just suffer with a fever. You, it'll make you stronger. <laughs> Whatever's wrong with you, it'll make you stronger. No, they saw fit that this woman was afflicted and that she was hurting. They're in his house. Now, listen, he goes on to say in verse 31. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand. Look at this now. And the fever left her and she waited upon them. Do you know she did not have a progressive healing? Because immediately after he lifted her up, she started serving. Usually when people get healed, you know, they got to wait a day or two. You know, I got to come to myself. And, you know, I just had a fever. You know, I can't just serve you right now. No, God healed her. Jesus healed her. He lifted her up. And she, I want you by your faith to catch what God is doing to people. He lifted her up and she had the ability to go to work and to serve immediately afterwards. See, our faith needs to be in what God does and what he can do. Amen? Listen. And verse 32. And when evening had come after the sun had set, he says, they began, listen to this now, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were possessed or demon-possessed. Now, if you notice, he puts ill, those who were ill and demon-possessed together. He brought all that were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And you'll, quite naturally, you'll find a lot of sickness around demon possession. That's why they're called unclean or impure spirits. They're wicked, they're evil. They want to do things to humanity because they can't do it to God. That's what they want to do. And I know this is strange for a lot of people because people don't hear anything like this, yet it's been in the Bible the whole time uh, as it's been recorded. But a lot of times, pastors and churches and teachers will skip over this kind of stuff because they feel like it will lower their offering. Yeah, if they don't feel like they're going to get a good response from people or support from people, they won't say anything to make people feel afraid or they won't say anything that would make people upset because to uh, hold on to your tradition, you know, you wouldn't believe that what he's doing here was real. You think that's Hollywood. No, it's Bible. Hollywood got it from the Bible. They just yeah. distorted it. They distorted it. After they talked about Jesus everywhere, they brought all these people to him in verse 32. They were possessed and ill in verse 33. And the whole city, listen, gathered at the door. So everybody came to this place and they all gathered at the door. All these people were sick and possessed. And so they're at the door now, right? And look at 34. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Now, I want you to catch another word there, too. He said he healed many. He didn't say he healed them all. He delivered many from demons, didn't do it all. It wasn't because of his inability to do it. Maybe some people don't want to be delivered. Sometimes people don't want to be healed. You know, you get a lot more attention when you're sick. And you sure get attention when you're crazy. So if you got a lot of demonic activity in you, you get a lot more attention. It's negative attention, but you get attention. So some people will not submit and surrender their lives to God and therefore they will not be set free of demons and they will continue living the way that they want to live and they will not get healed because they will not exercise faith in Jesus. People get used to being sick and I've been sick before and I don't like it. I've been sick unto death a few times to be honest with you. No bragging about nothing. I'm just saying I was sick unto death a number of times and knew in my spirit that death was there. I knew it. That if I wouldn't act at the time that I did, I could have slipped away. 
and not finish what God has called me to do. God is calling us to live and die in the flesh. The only death that he wants you to do is die in the flesh, but he wants you to live in the spirit. And you do not have to go out like that. You can live as long as you trust God to live. You live and trust him. In fact, he says when you honor your mother and father, he'll satisfy you with what? Long life. So there are principles in the Bible where God can extend your life. And we've seen when he's done this many times with people, you know, Hezekiah and all the rest of the people sick unto death. And God extends their life and gives them time to fulfill their purpose. But you got to want to. You got to have a desire to want to live. You got to have faith and trust in God that your purpose for living from here on out is not for yourself, but it's for him. Amen. Amen. And the reason I want to be around for another 150 years. <laughs> figure of speech. The reason I want to be around in as quality of life as I can have is not so I can go, oh, I want to see what the eighth wonder is. No. I want to see the glory of God. I want to see him use my life. I want to see him correct the things that were wrong and right the things, Lord, that I want to see happen that you said could happen so that you could be well pleased with me. That's what I want to see. That's what I want to see. Because I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. And I want to get so far past the mistakes that they're so dim that I don't remember them. All I want to remember is what God is doing from here on. I don't want to remember the past. He says, forget the things of the past and look to the future. Don't ponder the things of the past, right? We're to look forward in the things of God. Every person in this Bible we read about has a past. And your past will do them no good for their future. You've got to repent now and move forward. Move forward. Listen. Verse 35. And in the early morning, say early morning. Early. Say it again, early morning. For some of you that don't like to get up early, listen to this. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> don't get upset. Some people are not morning people, but after reading this, they might want to consider it. <laughs> early in the morning, unless you got a night job or something, then, you know, hey, you might be excluded. You might be already up early with a night job. And verse 35, and in the early morning, while it was still dark, that means it was early, Right. He, Jesus, arose and went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. Now, after all the stuff that Jesus had just come through, after all the people he had to deal with, all the demonic activity, all the healings he had to do, Jesus let the disciples sleep and he got up early in the morning when it was still dark and he found a lonely, solitary place and he went there to pray. Now, if Jesus had to do that, and he was the son of God and had all power and authority. What might you have to do? <laughs> early in the morning. Get up early in the morning. And you got to have a solitary place so there are no distractions. Because if there are distractions, then that could detour you from what God was planning that day. And I personally believe that if we get up early and talk to God when there's no other task that we have to do, that God could design a plan for you that day that will be just second to none. All the, see, God already knows what's coming in that day. You don't. So you need to talk to the one that knows. 
And I'm not going to get up as much as I love my wife. I'm not getting up early in the morning to talk to her. I'm getting up early in the morning to talk to God so he can talk to me about my wife and about my kids and about my job and about the people I'm going to meet and everybody else. So I'm ahead of the game already because I've gotten up early in the morning. Does that make sense? Jesus is setting trends for us. Get up in the morning, people, and pray in the dark so that God can reveal in the light. Amen. Amen. That's what he's doing. Those things that he shows you in the dark, in the early morning of your prayer time will soon be manifest in the daytime. And the reason most of us in the daytime are walking in darkness, because we don't get up early in the morning. Now, you determine what's early for you. I wake up every morning about five o'clock. I don't care if I go to bed at two o'clock in the morning. My eyes pop open at five o'clock, you know, and I just want to make sure that I'm using that time wisely. Get on my knees, bow my heart before God, find out what he's doing, what he wants to do, what he wants me to do, how I can participate and not cause distraction for people or stumble people. God, I want to do your will. I want to do it your way. I want everything to be right and to be perfect. And Lord, where it's not right and perfect, help me. That's what I want to see. How will I know how to minister to you if I don't get up early in the morning? How will I know how to serve a community if I don't get up early in the morning? If I get up with the noise, I can't hear God. <laughs> I'm going to get up when there is no noise. Most everybody's sleeping, even the devils. <laughs> They're sleeping with the people. And they can't do anything till those bodies get up. And so when those wicked, evil people get up, I got to jump on them. In the name of Jesus. I can say to them, I know who you are. <laughs> Amen. And verse 36, listen, and Simon and his companions hunted for him. See, y'all might come in here looking for the pastor one day. I might be running from you. I got here this morning and I went out and I went out the hallways. I went upstairs. I went around the room. My kids looking for me, people looking for me. I was trying to hear from God. I'm just trying to make it possible for me to shut down the noise and hear from God that something that in this service that he wants to do and that I would be sensitive to it and that he would do it. And I'm trusting that the things that I'm sharing with you now that God is doing something in your life. We don't know in the spirit realm what's happening. You know, I will tell you, it behoove you to open yourself to the things I'm sharing with you. You can see it right here in the Bible. I haven't deviated. It's right here. You see it in scripture. Even when I'm long gone, you can go back and look at the things I just read and say, well, you know, he wasn't lying. He was telling the truth. It's still here. It just, you know, it didn't go anywhere. It's right there in the Bible. Why hadn't I read it? Why hadn't I listened to it? It's just right there. And I think people need to start reading the entire Bible. We need to do some things line upon line, verse by verse. We're skipping around the Bible so much that we're getting people confused. And I prayed about being over here. God said, just take it easy. Read the scriptures to them. I'll do the work. God will do that work. Amen. So, and they found him in verse 37 and said to him, everyone's looking for you. <laughs> He's up praying and they're looking for Jesus, right? And then they find him finally. And he says, everybody's looking for you. In other words, Lord, what are you doing? Where are you going? Why didn't you let us know? You guys were sleeping. In verse 38, don't ever bring a slumber person with you. Never bring a sleepy head with you when trying to do God's work. You got a sleepy head, you are not going to be able to minister to people because you got a sleepy head with you. You got to get up on your own. And even when you're on vacation, get up early. Leave the vacationers in the bed and get up early. I don't care. You can vacate a place, but you cannot vacate God. 
Amen? Amen. Stay with him in prayer. Stay with him in prayer. Listen, verse 38. And he said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby in order that I might preach. Listen, there also, and I love this statement, for that is what I came out for. You see that? That's what I came out for. So this last little piece of scripture, I'm going to go ahead and give it to you now. Verse 39. And he went into their synagogues throughout all of Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. Now listen in verse 40. And a leper came to him, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So, you know, I don't need to go into the thing about lepers. It's very contagious. It's a very bad thing to even have a leper colony for them because they're not even supposed to be out because it's so contagious. Verse 41, and moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and he touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Now, you know, you're not supposed to touch a leper. The Bible says Jesus reached out his hand and touched him because the Lord of the leper was here. <laughs> Jesus didn't worry about any kind of disease or any kind of demonic activity because he was king of kings and Lord of lords. He was God in the flesh. He was the man that God has sent to destroy the works of the devil. So he put his hand on this leprous person and he says, be cleansed. If you notice, he didn't break down on his knees and pray all kinds of prayers over him. If you notice that, it said he reached out his hand and he touched him. He said, be cleansed. Oh, Lord, God, make sure, Lord, you just come down on this person and just help this person. Oh, Lord, we're calling from heaven. Lord, we just want your anointing to come down. We just want your power to come down, Lord. We just want you to touch this leper. Oh, Lord, Jesus. None of that. He put his hand on him. Be cleansed. Wow, it gives me the chills. Whew. Power. Power. He taught as one, not like the scribes, but one that has authority. Leprosy knew who was touching it. Verse 42, and immediately again, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now look at this part here. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And I looked that up. And it means that when Jesus cleansed this guy of leprosy, Stand here, Brother Reggie, let me show you. He grabbed hold of this guy, he cleansed him, and he warned him. He snorted at him. He gave him his vigor. He said, go and offer the offering that you give to the priest and don't say anything to anyone. That's what he said to him. Yes, listen, you don't believe me, watch. Because he wanted people to understand something. It was not his time yet. Although he was doing stuff to help people, but it's not his time yet because they were going to try to kill Jesus. Listen to what it says. You guys, I want you to believe it. Yeah, listen to what the word says. It says in verse 44, he sent him away right in 43. It says, and he said to him, see to it that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for cleansing what Moses commanded for testimony to them. And verse 45, listen to what the guy did. Of course he obeyed Jesus, right? But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread it, the news about, he says, to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed outside in unpopulated areas. And they were coming to him from everywhere because he didn't listen. He told everybody, Jesus sternly warned him, don't do it. 
just go do what you got to do with Moses. Because to be declared free, you had to go to the priest or the place where Moses set the law to be declared free. Because you had leprosy. They're not going to just take your word for it. So by the time you get there, there was a system they had in place to tell whether this leprosy was healed, and they would have. But if he would have did what Jesus said, he went out and he ran his mouth. And then he forced Jesus out to the outward parts of the town because he could not do any more work there because of the crowds. I'm going to stop there and we'll finish next week. Amen. 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 Hallelujah.